this fall. Um, I believe in, in two weeks I'm going to start a series um, preaching on the Holy Spirit. It's been uh, kind of interesting as I've gone through this series. I just expected uh, not to go very long before I was back in uh, just walking through a book of the Scripture. But I, I feel like God wants me to do something that I haven't ever done uh, in all my years of ministry is just preach a series of messages about the Holy Spirit. And uh, I've preached on selected passages about the Holy Spirit from time to time, uh, many times. Uh, but I, I just believe that God is, is leading in that direction. So that is where I'm going to be heading into for this fall. Next Sunday, I'm going to finish up this series on Israel. And we're going to have communion and uh, focus on that. And today I'm uh, looking at, uh, next to the last uh, of the series on Israel, where we spent a day in the Palestinian Authority area and the Dead Sea and Masada and, and Qumran area. And I'm going to share some slides about that. And I'm going to end this morning with the scripture because that's what I want um, you to take with you today. And, and I'm hoping that everything else I share builds and supports and um, um, reinforces what the scripture uh, has to share. Um, the first slide, I'm going to share just some interesting things that I saw. Um, almost everywhere in Israel, um, you saw flat roofs with water heaters and solar panels on top. And that was... Uh, I know that's fairly common in other places uh, other than the United States and, and uh, especially in warmer climates, but we saw a lot of that. Uh, the next one was uh, good for a little bit of American um, amusement. There you have Arab fried chicken, and here you have Stars and Bucks Cafe. <laughs> so... Um, and then uh, the next picture is of the Palestinian... Um, Israeli wall. Uh, this one is just uh, within three miles of Jerusalem. You remember uh, Bethlehem is four miles away from Jerusalem and uh, Bethlehem is within the Palestinian Authority and so this wall separates uh, the Palestinian Authority uh, from Israel and um, when they put this up um, Israel, Israel put the wall up to protect themselves from Hamas and the, um, all of that and, and all of that, and they had very good reasons for it. But in the process of all of that, they didn't really pay close attention to borders, and so there's a lot of Palestinian anger about it because some of their homes got wrecked and everything else. They just went in and built these uh, this huge concrete wall and, and all of that. And so the Palestinians have... Uh, painted and decorated this wall on both sides of it um, and uh, making their their points. And you see a Palestinian over there in chains because he can't go into Israel freely like he uh, used to be able to go and families separated and all of that kind of stuff. So the Palestinians hate this wall for a good reason um, and the Israelis um, have very good reason for needing it. And... Um, it's just one of the aspects of living over there. I, I am really glad that we had the privilege of being able to not only see one side of all the issues over there while we were there, to be able to see 
you know, the perspective of the Palestinians as they look at all of these issues over there and also the Israelis and all of that. You, you leave Bethlehem and you head down towards the Dead Sea and um, you run right into Bedouin country. The next slide is, is also, um, I love this, make hummus, not walls. <laughs> hummus is chickpeas all ground up and... Yes, icky, but um, <laughs> it was in a lot of food. <laughs> but anyway, they, the Palestinians were saying, make hummus, not walls. And then the next slide is, um, th- I mean, you drive right out of all these this beautiful lush stuff that I've shown you over the last eight, nine weeks, and, and you drive right into that almost instantly. This is what Israel would be if it hadn't been for what the Israelis have done with underground springs and irrigation systems and all of that, that's a pretty good, I mean, that's just what it's like. And, and we drove miles uh, just looking at that. And, and there are people that live in that, the Bedouin shepherds, and uh, live there. They're kind of very poor nomads, um, and they raise mostly goats because goats are about the only thing that can survive there. They have few sheep, but the goats are more productive. Um, they, you know, and so those Bedouins, they live on the goat milk, the cheese, and the meat from the goats. And uh, they, you know, they'll, you'll see it out there some sticks with a piece of tin over it for a, you know, a tent, and they'll live there for as long as they can, and they'll pick up and move somewhere else. And, and try to get enough grazing for their goats. And I just don't see a whole lot of grazing there. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that's, that's that. Um, the next one is beautiful, um, unlike that, but it's down right next to Jericho. And these are the date palm trees. I wasn't even smart enough to know that dates grew on palm trees, uh, but now I know that. And... Um, they climb way up there to get the dates and all of that, um, but they just grow like that. Beautiful, beautiful um, orchards of, of date palm trees um, down by Jericho and the Dead Sea. Almost every date that's out there um, you get in Israel. I mean, it's grown there in Israel. And then you back to another picture of Qumran and uh, the the land side there. You see some weeds and grass down at the bottom, but this is uh, the area of Qumran where the Dead Sea Scrolls were discovered. Um, and it's 13 miles east of Jerusalem on the way to Jericho and the Dead Sea. Um, and some of these Bedouin shepherds of goats and sheep discovered, they just were throwing rocks in one of these holes one day in 1947 and heard a clink. So they went in to discover, but it was late in the day, and so um, they waited till the next day. Went in, and they were hoping for buried treasure because they're, you know, they're just teenage kids. And uh, when they got in there, they found these these jar pots about this tall and about this big around, and opened them up and found some scrolls in there, which they were in Hebrew and Aramaic, so they didn't think much about it. But they took took one of those clay pots um, to their Bedouin little uh, tent and hung some of those scrolls up and then eventually decided to sell them um, to um, antique dealers in Bethlehem. And uh, so 
eventually, um, word got out about what they had discovered, some Old Testament documents and manuscripts and all of that. And so people began looking, and more of the shepherds and other people began looking in all these caves around here uh, to see what other things they could find. And so between 1952 and 1956, they found 10 more caves with some of the Dead Sea Scrolls in them. And altogether, there's between 800 and 900 manuscripts um, in those caves that they found. Uh, they were left by the Jewish community called the Essenes, uh, a very conservative group of Jewish scribes. John the Baptist came from that group of people. Um, they were there from about 150 B.C., before Christ, uh, through 70, 72 A.D., when the Romans destroyed that whole area in Jerusalem and the temple and all of that. Well, the Essenes knew that the Romans were coming, and so as they they their whole life work had been um, copying the Old Testament scriptures and passing it on and, and writing, and so they gathered all those things up in, in, in uh, clay pots and hid them out in these caves and 2,000 years ago, and then they sit there for 1,950 years or so, or 1,900 years or so, and uh, then we discover them that many years later. Those are the oldest... Old Testament Hebrew manuscripts that we have. Before that, um, these are about a thousand years older than anything we had before 1947 to translate our scriptures from. And so, um, you know, it's interesting how God preserved the word of God um, in that way. And now we can look at those and uh, see how, how... very similar they are, identical to what the manuscripts that were a thousand years um, newer. Um, and, and so, anyway, and this is also the area of En Gedi. Um, when you read Second Samuel and you read about David and Saul hiding out in caves, this is it. Not a pretty place. You know, I, I had some other vision, not this. <laughs> <laughs> of, of David and Saul hiding out in caves and that kind of stuff. But this, this is that area where they would have uh, hid in. Um, the next one is the Dead Sea. And uh, it's quite low. The water would have been here a few years ago all the way out into this area. Um, and it is fastly shrinking. Uh, they believe that the next world war will not be over land, but will be over water. And um, they're even making use of the, the water in the Dead Sea, using the salt, taking the water, all of that, because there's such a need for water over there, uh, especially south in Egypt and in other places. Um, but so that, that's the Dead Sea uh, expected to go dry and certainly is moving in that direction. Um, the Dead Sea, I told you before, is eight times saltier than the ocean. Um, so it's, it's very salty. Um, the next one, is right beside this, is Masada. And um, there's two ways to get up to that fortress. Um, one is by the gondola, and then the other is a walking path up there that has been built over the years. Um, it takes about 90 minutes to hike up and about 40 minutes to hike down. 
Um, that I don't know that from experience. I rode the gondola. Uh, <laughs> um, Masada is uh, it's on isolated rock. It's got very steep sides. And Herod the Great was famous for building fortresses on mountaintops. And uh, so this is one he built. It had a double wall all the way around it. Uh, had deep, huge cisterns where they stored water in it. Um, and then big, long storehouses uh, where they would store food and supplies and all that kind of stuff. Um, and there was an impressive three-level palace. Uh, during the Jewish revolt in which Jerusalem fell in 70 AD, uh, the Jews, Jews fled. About a thousand of them fled up here, got up here and protected themselves from the Romans. And they, they were able to do that and hold out um, for about two years. They stayed up there, had enough food and provisions and everything and water for two years up there. And during that time, the Romans came and built a ramp up. And they just hauled all kinds of dirt in on one side of this. And when they got up so they could just come, come in and destroy it, the Jews, the Essenes Jews, decided that they're, you know, they were not going to allow the Romans to come in and take their wives and, and uh, abuse them or take their children and make slaves out of them and all of that. So when Flavius came uh, with the Romans... Um, they decided that they would uh, get rid, destroy all of their property except for their food. So they demolished all of their property so that the Romans couldn't enjoy it. And then they left the food because they didn't want anyone to say that it was because they ran out of food and starved to death. <laughs> so they left that as a testimony that they could have lived there for a long time. The water and the food, there was plenty there. And then they... Uh, all agreed to commit mass suicide and kill each other and all of that. There were um, two women and five children, I believe it was, uh, that hid out in an underground cavern and uh, weren't killed in that uh, And and when the, Ro- or the Romans got there. But anyway, this, this whole thing um, is kind of an interesting complex that we got to see. Um, those people chose death over slavery to the Romans, and there were 960 people that committed mass suicide up there when the Romans came uh, to take over those um, those Romans. The next picture is a is a picture uh, a model of the three palace three story palace that Herod the Great built. Um, quite impressive, and you can see the remains of all of that when you look down over the edge. Um, on, on all of that. The next uh, picture is a bathhouse, um, and quite an extensive bathhouse. The, the Romans uh, and, and Greeks love these things, and uh, so the water would have sat up here on top of this, and down here, this would have all been covered in that same stone, and down here, waterproof, all of this would have been, they would light fires down here to heat the floor and the water, and, and make saunas and, and steam rooms and all of that up there on top of that rock. Uh, just absolutely phenomenal. And then they even had um, windows with heavy glass in the side so there was light coming in from the outside into, the, into that bathhouse. 
And then the next one is of the scribes' room, a uh, picture up there um, where the scribes, the Essene scribes would work. You see the long benches, uh, mud brick benches, um, where they would work, and there were ink wells discovered, um, that the ceramic and metal ink wells uh, where the scribes worked, copying all the Old Testament uh, scrolls there. And when the Roman army approached, that's when they gathered all these scrolls that had been kept, put them in clay pots, and hid them out there in, in those caves in the cliffs of Qumran. Now, the next picture, um, I have many, many pictures of it. I don't know why they took so many pictures of us, because not a one of us have beach bodies. I am only showing you this one. It was the only safe one. Um, somewhat safe. Um, but anyway, um, that's our group out there uh, floating. Uh, it was just about impossible to stand up in it. I mean, it would just pick you up and, and throw you up, so uh, you, you just floated on that uh, Dead Sea. Um, the next picture is a picture of the Shrine of the um, Book. Um, this is at the Israeli Museum in Jerusalem. And it houses a lot of the Dead Sea Scroll scrolls that were found out there. Um, and then there's another place in Jerusalem that houses most of the rest of them. And then the next slide is a picture of the um, model of Jerusalem uh, that was built at that Israeli museum. And uh, you see, just take a look at this. This is the, the temple right there, uh, Solomon's Palace. All of this, this model, this is from 66 um, A.D., just before the Romans destroyed it. And, and then you have the, the view of all of Jerusalem. And you can just see how, how mammoth this was compared to the rest of Jerusalem and all of that. When, when the Jews talked about going up to the temple, it stood out. It, everyone knew that was the centerpiece of Jerusalem. Uh, and, of course, now the Dome of the Rock is sitting right there, and that's what you see when you come down over this hill uh, leading to it. Um, by the way, the scale here is 1 to 50. Um, those little matchbox cars, that's about what those are. So, um, anyway. Um, and they, they designed this based on what they read in the Gospels, the Mishnah, the um, Talmud, uh, the books of Josephus, which was the early church historian, uh, all kinds of other literary works, and then all the archaeological discoveries that have been made in Jerusalem um, in recent years since uh, 1948. <clears throat> so, And then the, the last picture I have to show you is of, of the... I've shown you pictures of the outside of Jerusalem, the wall... This is from the inside looking out through those uh, holes where they would use arrows to protect the city and all of that kind of stuff. And uh, you can just barely see Pastor Sheldon over there with his hand. Um, but we're, um, this is a, one of the main corners there that we walked around. So the question this morning that I want to share with you um, is, so we have these 11 caves and these Dead Sea Scrolls, and uh, 
the, the Bedouin shepherds found in, in cave number one, and then they started naming the caves as they discovered more, uh, cave one all the way through cave 11. And uh, cave one, four, and 11 had the most significant finds in them. Uh, cave four had about 15,000 fragments and about 500 of the, the documents. Um, cave four was discovered in 1952, and then uh, they found a lot more um, after that. Those fragments include Old Testament scriptures from every book in the Old Testament except for Esther. And um, they include a full manuscript of Isaiah that's dated a thousand years earlier than anything else we had until 1947. And it had 19 copies of Isaiah in it, different copies, but not the full manuscript like the one we found. Um, There were 25 copies of Deuteronomy and 30 copies of the Psalms and a whole bunch of the other uh, parts of the Old Testament. The value those Dead Sea Scrolls have produced is it has improved our understanding of Hebrew and Aramaic so we know how better to translate uh, from the Old Testament into modern language that we understand, um, all those kind of things, and not just those, um, but also um, it, it, it provided a whole bunch of other literary works that help us understand the culture and the times of Jesus because it was written right about the time uh, where he li- that he lived. Uh, there's additional prophecies by Ezekiel, Daniel, and Jeremiah um, that we don't have in our Bibles, that we're not inspired in terms of um, God intended them for our scriptures, but nonetheless they were prophecies that were true and lived out and preached by those men. Um, there's also a paraphrase of Genesis, uh, a, a summary paraphrase of Genesis, um, and all of those kind of things are interesting and they add understanding to the Old Testament that we have. Um, They include documents about Jewish life, practices and regulations for community life that we have nowhere else. Um, There's just some things that we pull out of these Dead Sea Scrolls that help us understand the times in the life of Jesus that there was nothing else in history that told us about some of that kind of stuff. Um, Those scrolls are written on papyrus and um, animal skins. And because it's Hebrew, they were all written from right to left. Um, and they didn't use punctuation, um, except for occasionally a paragraph would be intended or indented from the right. And then uh, oftentimes in Hebrew, they wouldn't even put spaces between words. And so when, when you think about how we've gotten our Bible today um, and, and in English and looking at the Hebrew manuscripts and trying to make sense and making sure you're putting the, you know, because some words, uh, just where you put that space could make a lot of difference in the meaning and all that kind of stuff. Knowing all of that, there's a great deal of work that goes into you and I getting the Bibles that you and I have today. Cave 3 had an interesting thing. It had a copper scroll um, in it with Hebrew and Greek letters chiseled into it. Um, into the metal sheets, and it describes 64 underground places where they had held silver and gold, they presume from Solomon's temple um, in Israel. Uh, They have not found any of these, so they're assuming either the Romans just totally destroyed those places or found them, 
or when they went into captivity, they went and took them with them. They don't, they don't know, but none of that has been found. The longest scroll, if you unrolled it, is 26 feet, 0. 0.7. 26.7 feet uh, long. And the interesting thing is that they are almost identical. Identical to the Masoretic texts of the 9th and 10th centuries. Those are the, the texts that we had always used to translate our Bibles from. Uh, from which the King James is translated from. Any Bible that uh, was before the 1950s was all translated from the Masoretic text. Um, and now we have these Dead Sea Scrolls that help us. But it's, a, it's interesting that something a thousand years earlier and is, is identical to what we've been working with. That's a thousand years older or newer towards us. You know, and so it's interesting how God preserved the word of God, even though these, these copyists were working like that in these kind of conditions with, you know, an ink pen and copying word for word and letter for letter and all of that, how God preserved his word uh, and protected it uh, for each one of us. Now, I want to close in the scriptures. And the first one comes from Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 through 18. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is fulfilled. And you see in these Dead Sea Scrolls again, God preserved his word. Even against Romans coming in and just wiping out everything, that wonderful temple and everything else, all destroyed, but not the word of God. Destroyed and hid in caves for almost 2,000 years that they didn't know was there. And yet when we finally get those scrolls, it matches up with the word of God that you and I already have. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 says, For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of the heart. Pretty amazing um, passage of scripture there. You know that the word of God... Um, that's where you and I need to be. And we need to be in it often. If it's really going to do this in us and do this work in us, we have to be in the Word of God. And then uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. But as for you, Paul writes to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. I just want to, as I close out this morning, I really didn't know at first what I was going to do with this day and, and all those slides, but I really believe that looking at Masada and the Essenes and the Dead Sea Scrolls just really emphasizes to us how important the Word of God is, how God has preserved it and protected it, and how God, He, he kept it for a reason. He kept it for you and I. 
I mean, for 2,000 people, years, people have not had access to some of these things that we now have. God preserved it for us. And I want to tell you the word of God is powerful. Uh, it can change and transform our lives. And I just want us to close. We're going to sing this is my father's world. And he's in control of all of it, whether you're in Qumran or a beautiful uh, lush place or down, uh, drove through the, um, the Badlands <laughs> again yesterday. It was just beautiful with fall colors and everything down there yesterday. That's beautiful. But I want to tell you what God's word is just so amazing and so wonderful. And we want to pray that God will continue to use it to transform 